This is Tomorrow's Bite Podcast, the podcast where Andres and I are diving with stunning guests into their stories, challenges, and opportunities, all backed by food, allowing us all to get inspired, gain knowledge, and grow. And today we talk about. We started to eat plant-based um, and found it actually pretty, um, pretty enjoyable and, and pretty easy, but with one exception, which was cheese. Hundred years ago, a lot of countries got very good at protecting their regional produce, and that has had a lot of implications for, through the food system. I would be sued by the Parmesan Bureau in the Netherlands. <laughs> it was my favourite product development um, project we've worked on so far because it was the most in-depth and complex. So, there's a brilliant model called the Working Genius Model, which basically in fairly simplistic ways, outline six characteristics and it says we're good at two, we're average at two and we're rubbish at two. The first one, I think that you already gave some hints about it, but what shall be the role of farmers if there is or when there is a growth of a plant-based industry? Brad Panston's story is one for Netflix. From grandson of a dairy farmer, to one of the most known land-based dairy makers out there. With his products, he raises the bar, and he is here to spread the word of his life, business, dilemmas in plant-based scene, and life as an entrepreneur with you. One conversation that stuck with us for a long time. So please, enjoy as much as we did. Brad, first of all, thank you for coming. Can you explain to our listeners who you are and what mission you are on? Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, I'm from uh, the UK originally, um, but moved to Amsterdam uh, back in 2018. And my, my family roots are actually in the dairy industry. Um, so, uh, yeah, we have quite a strong connection to, to food um, and, yeah, live here in Amsterdam with... Uh, my partner and, and our dog Milo. Um, and uh, yeah, the mission of, of Willycroft is essentially to tackle the, the emissions that dairy as an industry has. So dairy is responsible for, for 4% of all emissions. And we essentially want to produce alternatives that tackle that head on, um, but without any kind of compromise in taste and texture um, and providing a more compelling nutritional offering as well. So that's, that's us in a nutshell. Um, we believe that our youth really shapes the person we are today. Mm. And our question always comes back. And how did your youth shape the person you are today? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny looking at the time I spent on my grandparents' dairy farm, because that to me growing up was more just a bit of a playground to be, totally honest rather than something that I thought would would lead to 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 a career I guess um but yeah I, I was had a very fortunate childhood spent a lot of time on that farm very kind of family oriented um I grew up uh in Brighton outside of that so also had a connection to a city which is a, such a fantastic place Brighton very free and liberal and 
also always very forward thinking and quite a um a kind of leader on sustainability as well so i think that was ingrained in me without me maybe realizing um and then i when i was a kid as well i started a few businesses when i was very young so i was selling coke cans to friends at break time that was probably the first thing i'd go and buy a multi pack and then i'd try and try and sell it for a little bit of a profit so i think um yeah there were there were seeds planted at that early stage of just setting up a business i guess so um yeah i think those are probably the most formative things and yeah i guess the final thing to say is i spent a lot of time out, outside i loved being outside playing sport exploring just yeah just being active i guess so i think that has given me quite a strong attachment to to nature the story of the grandson of a dairy farmer then turning into a plant-based cheese mm. makers sounds really strong, but of course, uh, in some way generates a little bit of conflict. And in that sense, how was the reaction of your family or, or even yeah. your grandfather to your, uh, yeah, to this venture? Yeah, I, I will actually never forget the first conversation I have with my grandpa about it. Um, I was in um, in a small village in France and I just called him up and we, we caught up on, you know, what I was doing. And I've, I've been building up to telling him because it was, uh, I was very, not necessarily worried about his reaction, but uh, I just thought it would be a bit of a, um, a sort of um, contradiction to everything he'd done across his and my grandmother's life. Um, but actually he was pretty good from the start he was more just very quizzical about how the hell can you make cheese with nuts which is what we were initially using that was really his main question um but he was uh, unbelievably supportive and uh my grandmother had already she she had quite bad dementia so we never got to properly chat about it but my grandpa got to see the first three years of of willie croft in its reimagined form and it was very special Uh, having a lot of chats with him and, and visiting the farm and he he definitely resonated with a lot of the things which we were trying to push like he understood that we can't get all of our protein and and a big part of our diet from from dairy if we're to feed you know 10 billion people by 2050 he also was a really anti-factory farming just the land around my grandparents farm had gone from being a load of small holding farms like them to basically being full of these massive um, factories and no, with no animals on the lands. Um, and then also they had a very holistic farm. So they were essentially doing regenerative farming before it was a thing. So, you know, the classic English hedgerows were abundant with life, the, the mixed um, rotations of crops, the, the, yeah, the clever use of, of the manure as well. Um, and you know no no inputs as well so yeah there, there was a lot more common ground than not and actually I find that still with a lot of farmers we, we still speak to even dairy farmers when you see it in the media it's very different but person to person um, I think there's actually a lot more common ground there and I think a farmer just wants to make some income from the, for their family They're incredibly intuitive people who, are, you know, very just trying to craft the, the best way. And so when people came around with fertilizers and all of these other things, 
you know, a couple of decades ago, of course, farmers going to go, yeah, great. Give me some of those. If it gives me uh, less time in the fields and more profits and things. And so I, I, I think in this whole conundrum that we find ourselves with the food system, one figure I don't blame is the farmer. Maybe in, well, in line could be with your grandfather and the idea. Well, he was thinking, how do you make cheese from nuts? But I'm actually also wondering how did it came into your mind? How how did it happen that you come up with this idea? Mm. So I, I I think actually in a way in which a lot of people come up with ideas in the sense of it was a personal problem for me at the time. So essentially, I moved to Amsterdam and. When we moved him, my partner and I, we started to be very conscious of our personal impact on the planet. Um, it was a totally fresh start from us. We were coming from from New York. And um, yeah, we had a lot of time on our hands, I guess, to, to just start afresh. And um, yeah, we basically realized that our diets were the most consequential thing that we could change. So we started to eat plant-based um, and found it actually pretty um pretty enjoyable and, and pretty easy but with one exception which was cheese <laughs> um we we both really love cheese and we really struggled with the alternatives that were cut then available um and so i yeah well we were we were both being very expen- experimental at the time in the kitchen but i was being particularly experimental and i just set aside a weekend and thought I'm just going to make some some plant-based cheeses at, at home because I'd seen a few people making it in the markets and they were some of the best ones that, that I tried. So I just got very into the process and a lot of different um, techniques and, um, and formulations and um, that was really it. And that process was about six months and was mainly just me doing it in my spare time. Um, and then I had some friends around one evening and um, they pulled the cheeses out of the fridge and they were gone with within five minutes. And um, they we basically agreed that uh, evening that I would go and do a market in two weeks time. And, and I did it. And then I quit my job straight after. Um, so that, that was basically it in, uh, in a nutshell. You're actually kind of a pioneer, pioneer in, in this sector. Have you ever asked yourself why nobody was trying to do what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, firstly, there's definitely, there's definitely others and, and we've, well, I've um, been inspired by, by many others for, for sure. Um, but to be honest, I think the main reason is because people find a million other reasons not to. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people think about things maybe a lot more than I do before starting something. I'm, I'm someone who, who just goes with things. And um, yeah, at this stage of the company, that wouldn't necessarily be a very smart thing. Now, thankfully, we've got other characters to balance it out. But at the start, the best thing to do is just start. Like that is, that is the most important thing with any, any new business. And yeah, I just, uh, I just kind of thought, why not? Basically. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I didn't think too far ahead. So I, the, I don't like to give too much advice, but I think one thing that really like really helped me was just taking things kind of week by week, because if I thought about how am I going to produce X amount of cheese in, um, you know, four months time, it probably would have scared me off. Um, but going and doing a market that was achievable going and doing a second one and maybe 
cracking the packaging that I wanted to use for those markets. Again, achievable. So gradually you go along and that thing that you're really scared about sort of six months down the line, you've got to a point where actually you can then achieve it. Um, so that, that was, that was kind of my process, I guess. In the whole process, what are the main challenges in, well, currently in the plant-based cheese category on the product development? Yeah. So product, product development, there's definitely some components to, to be overcome. I mean, cheese is so, there's so much variety in cheese. So I think it's good to separate it. So I think what's already very producible is more everyday ingredient based cheeses. So products that have a more straightforward functionality and a more straightforward usage. So what I would put into that category is sauces. Um, I would put into that category certain spreads. Uh, I would also say certain harder grated cheeses and, and that kind of like a young sort of cheese falls into that category. What is a lot more complex is certain structural properties. So casein is a fundamental part of cheese making. And as of yet, there is no kind of natural ingredient that's replacing it. So there are a lot of um, different um, yeah, kind of binding agents and, and um, different kind of textual properties you can add, but none of them really achieve what casein does so so that stretchiness you get with mozzarella for example so there are a couple of com well a number of companies working on this specifically and we are not that far off i mean there are already prototypes out there but we're not far that far off sort of more broad commercialization on those ingredients so they're tackling that part of the the, the issue i would say then there's quite a lot of um artisanal cheesemakers that are trying to recreate um, a lot of the classic kind of artisanal cheeses like breeze and blue cheeses and and those kind of products i've actually tried some companies that have achieved this through fermentation i think they've done an amazing job their barrier is more scale and also the fact that they're primarily using nuts which i don't think is a very efficient base ingredient we ourselves started with nuts but we moved away from it um so yeah i think that's a barrier as well is really scaling those processes um and i i mean i think there as well a lot of companies that in the dairy side that are doing it the best ones haven't scaled it that much they keep it artisanal but there's just a desire to grow at you know crazy crazy levels that doesn't necessarily need to be there for every alternative um but it's driven into entrepreneurs the need to do so. Um, and then I think the, the last kind of innovation to mention is on the cellular level. Um, so a lot of these kind of things are more novel foods, um, GMO components, mm -hmm. techniques like precision fermentation. Definitely very excited about those as well. Um, but we are probably five to seven years away from getting to a point where the legislative barriers are removed. The, um, the the funding is there where we've got to a position where we can get the unique economics right. So I think, yeah, that segment is, is a way off. But I, in terms of where I see it going, um, I don't think there's going to be one solution. I think some people will just want to buy simple formulations that are plant-based. I think some people want to buy 
fermented formulations, I think some people um, will want to um, buy something that is is cell based. Um, but I think we need many different components, and we also need people just cracking an ingredient and a yeah a, a more of a kind of technology based solution. Um, so it's 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 growing and getting there, but it's complex. It's not like milk, for example, where you have really one product. I mean, yes, you milk has got different variations, but it is one core based product. And I'm not saying that necessarily makes that core product easier to replicate, but there is one versus 2000 cheeses. Um, so I think that's part of the snag of, uh, of, of the plant-based cheese space. You were mentioning something about it that is hard to replicate in mm. actually one of the main uh, critics. Casein. Casein, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the main critics that are done sometimes to the plant-based market is that in some ways really focused into mimicking existing animal products and not mm. exploiting the creation of new plant-based products with their own identity. Mm. When it comes to yeah. cheese, is there any chance of creating new kind of plant-based products that look for mm. offering a different experience? Is that something that Willie Croft looks into? Yeah, so I, I've, I love the question. Um, I think at this point in time, what we always talk about doing is replacing the setting and the usage. Um, in the future, I would love to create new cheese products. I think that's super exciting. I think the most consequential thing we can do at this stage, though, is recreate what's what's already there in the sense of replicating that setting and usage. So if you want to have a salad, here's the perfect feta cheese that has the same bite, but also gives you the same salty, sour notes and lifts the dish. Like that in a nutshell is what I think a feta should do. So I think that's what we're trying to do with each of our products is replicate that setting. I think in in five to 10 years time, once the the industry has already got to a point where it's it's a big it's it's a big dent on dairy cheese then we can maybe look at it i'd love to see milk for example now because i think it's it's already there it's already above 25% of of all milk sales in some countries i'd love to see milk now do that um because i think they're in a position to 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 make that move and looking into this thing of you mentioned of creating like new cheeses uh, i it just popped into yeah. my mind the question what gives identity to a cheese like How, when a thing is a cheese and it's not something yeah. else? Well, legally, it's often very regionally focused. So it's very much like other food and drink products. So, yeah, a hundred years ago, a lot of countries got very good at protecting their regional produce. And that has had a lot of implications through the food system. Um, I mean, the technical de definition of cheese is a much debated thing. It actually originates from a word called uh, quat, which is a Slavic word that describes a process of fermenting and souring vegetables. So not dairy, <laughs> but um, dairy has become such a key part of the Western diet and the Western economy and the Western farming that we have basically made it very difficult to replace dairy, despite the fact that I mentioned earlier, dairy is worth 4% of all emissions 
globally. That's not four percent of the food system. That's four percent of our emissions, which is which is pretty insane from what is really only widely consumed in Western Europe um, and an unbelievably inefficient um, kind of ingredient base. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, the definitions is part of the problem in that we can't at this stage actually call it cheese. Um, and we've, you know, had various battles with this so far. We've been sued by the Parmesan Bureau in the Netherlands. We've uh, we get regular fines from the Dutch government um, for using the word cheese on our websites and social media, um, which which we just pay. And then we've also been sued by other food companies for using words that are open to everyone. So it's, um, yeah, we sh- this is not where anyone should be putting their focus. You know, this is all wasted time and energy. Um, I'm not a massive fan of trademarks in general, to be totally frank. I think maybe some kind of imagery, but trademarks just protect big businesses, really. Um, they don't really serve any purpose to consumers or smaller companies um but yeah that's probably a a little bit of a rant (laughs) um now you made a plant-based butter with the exact characteristics like its spreadability but also excellent in baking Mm. how did the product development of this product go yeah so this was my favorite product development um, project we've worked on so far because it was the most in-depth and complex so we on this particular product we we essentially wanted to tackle two main things uh, which was firstly replicating butter and the flavor of butter and secondly as you said the kind of uh, multifaceted nature of butter um, because to us margarine is is really just a spread um, so it's 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 a very functional one and there are a lot of good good options out there but it doesn't give you the impression you're having butter those kind of full full notes and then it doesn't um also function that well when baking or cooking you can you can adapt for sure but the fats separate at quite a low temperature and and you have to basically compromise a bit so we wanted a compromise free product essentially and then we also wanted, obviously, the same kind of nutritional and emissions qualities that on, are on the other products. Um, so this process, we we realized we could only go so far ourselves on. Um, so we knew that we could begin the initial fermentation components. We brought on a couple of fermentation experts for that. And their whole brief was to replicate butyric acid, which is the key flavor component of butter. So that was kind of like step one. but creating something in a small facility and then scaling it up is a whole different beast. And so we, we partnered with a, another investor to, to, to basically bring this to, to, to fruition. Um, and they're fermentation experts and, and they've got some amazing bioreactors and they could both test on a bigger level so that we could see that we are actually getting the same notes and flavors and, and texture. And then also now, we're, we're at the point where we're just working on the first orders. Now they can produce a pretty limitless scale as well. So the perfect partner from that side, and they they brought a lot of te- technical expertise when we were really kind of honing in and finalizing the, the final fermentation formulation. Um, and then on the texture part, the process was a bit more straightforward. Um, 
we essentially wanted to find a fat base that didn't sort of dissipate and melt at a, a low temperature. Um, so that was, yeah, it wasn't, uh, you know, the most straightforward process, but easier than the fermentation process. We basically didn't want to base it on coconut or palm oil as the main fat. We wanted to use something else that could allow us to hit the same notes as, as dairy. Um, I am already surrounded of people that are really, really conscious eaters when it comes to a more plant-based diet, mm -hmm. but me included, yeah. uh, we're still, uh, having a struggle to, to swap cheese in, in our diet. So yeah. from your perspective, what message would you give to people like me right? and all the mm. consumers that have this struggle? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to do markets, as I mentioned. I think this is probably the most um, sort of spoken about question and topic. Um, so I, I think the important thing to say as a starting point is it's not about, well, I don't think someone who really loves cheese should just give up cheese because I, I think it's going to be a failed experiment. I think it's about finding option by option something to replace different cheeses that you eat. So... I would like to think our feta, for example, could lead to you not having feta again, or our grated cheese works perfectly on pizzas, lasagna, you know, that kind of setting. I think if you take it more of a step-by-step -step approach, then it's a lot more attainable. Some people can just go straight away and, and um, make that movement. Um, but for a lot of people, it's, it's not something that's, that's possible. And, I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't think the best case scenario of a world is one where everyone is, is plant-based because I don't think that world is realistic. Um, we, we, we actually do need animals in a system anyway, in, in the most kind of, um, forward thinking systems using regenerative farming. And, uh, I, I'm totally against factory farming. Um, but I'm also kind of aware that, we're never going to get to a point where everyone is has turned off meat and dairy. I just don't think that's realistic. So I think the best thing that we can do is treat meat as a, and, and certain dairy as a real specialty piece. And all of our day-to-day -day consumption is plant-based. Um, but to get to that point, we need delicious alternatives. Um, so it's a combination of people and governments kind of, yeah moving moving to a point where the unit economics and the policy drives the right thing and and the consumer can then make their choice and companies like us making sure that we're putting products on people's plates that taste and function the same way and also are nutritious and low emitting so it's it's uh we're we're you know five to ten years into this being a, a real proper official industry so uh i think um Yeah, so far so good, but it's got a long way to go. Along the way of your journey creating a company in the plant-based section and being one of the first creating really quality products and often also a wonderful story behind it. Um, but this, you, you cannot become this far uh, facing a lot of hurdles, right? Or passing a lot of hurdles. Uh, what If you look back, what were for you the three biggest hurdles of, in your journey and how did you overcome them? Um, definitely I, I mentioned starting, but I think just getting going is, was the hardest thing. I was totally new to food. 
had yeah no experience of this sector and a lot of personal ties to the dairy industry so it was quite a difficult decision to to make that that jump um although I still did it pretty quick um then I would say up yeah getting getting the products into um a factory and upscaling is a massive challenge and you can pick a couple of different routes you can outsource production you can do it in-house there's no right answer um but making that call and and going through that process was was a long one um and then i would say the decision we made to move away from cashews um and onto beans and pulses because we had launched four cashew based products they were on the market um but we also knew that they were too expensive, that they were very high in emissions compared to where we wanted to be. Um, allergens was less of a big deal, but it was another factor. So we knew that we would have to change at a certain point. And did we wait until we were forced to, or did we just make that decision early on? Definitely the best call we made so far to make that switch. Um, so yeah, I'd say those three things were were the hardest steps. One of the things that we would like to do in this conversation was uh, bringing some of the arguments that people have normally against a plant-based industry. Just mm. to hear your opinion about it and in, order, in some way sure. uh, open the discussion yeah. uh, from them. And the first one, I think that you already gave some hints about it, but what shall be the role of farmers if there is or when there is a growth of a plant-based industry? I think they just will be arable farmers primarily rather than um dairy and as i said um regenerative farming to i think a lot of people's eyes now is the most holistic system and um yeah it's not necessarily my opinion that that's the best option but more i'm just kind of following the the science with it and in that system we still need some some manure to to naturally um give give the crops the nutrients they need Um, so I do think that is a is an important part, but the future we see is definitely um, where farmers are are farming arably, and we we're actually from next year making that step ourselves, actually converting a dairy farmer to grow our white beans. So we're growing um, just six hectares this year of white beans. We did one hectare last year, and next year we want to get all of our white beans from Dutch farmers. Part of the rationale behind that was to work with dairy farmers to help them transition. So we will just be doing one farmer next year as a as a starting piece, um, but we want to be part of that system to to help a farmer change. And by the way, this isn't a farmer um, stopping entirely dairy farming. It's a farmer going uh, about twenty percent arable next year. And I think we yeah we need this kind of nuance in order to get the change we needed we need because I think going cold turkey on everything as well as 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 great as that sounds um i just don't think it's it's realistic um so i think a farmer is someone who needs needs a step-by-step approach now looking to the consumer uh plant-based yeah. products a lot of times are categorized as the fake versions of not like uh, plant-based meat is the mm-hmm. fake meat plant-based cheese is fake cheese mm-hmm. so for them, it's like giving a step farther 
from natural food products. What do you think about this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think in some instances, I somewhat agree that certain things are fake because that we have to be honest that there's a lot of processed stuff available that is plant-based, but there's also a lot of dairy that is unbelievably nutritious and actually doesn't have that much milk, sorry, that much meat in it or um, other, other com- components. So th- this again comes back to what I'm saying about nuance. I think we need a more balanced debate here. I, I think even as someone in the plant-based industry, I'm very aware that there's a lot of processed components to, to our food system. Um, but there's also a lot of clean label, natural products. Our, our butter, for example, um, every single ingredient that's in that product, you would recognize as, as a consumer. There's no stabilizers or additives. And I think that is a great alternative. Um, but yeah, I think, I, th- I think we have, firstly have to be a little bit patient where the industry is going. And secondly, I think it is really good that people are being critical because it will drive improvement. Um, but I, I would hope that person would come back and try it again and also look for a cleaner version. Another popular piece of criticism is um, that yeah, the plant-based market normally seems pricey and plant-based options always tend to be more expensive. And definitely that's an important factor of the adoption for a more plant-based diet. Currently, in even this economical situation, it's even more important for a lot of people. Um, is this a problem with a solution or um, will the plant-based option be more expensive than animal ones? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of solutions out there. The solutions are actually quite straightforward if uh, the government's acted. So firstly, subsidies. Um, so I, I think it's um, over 90% of subsidies globally go to high emitting industries. So this isn't just dairy, but it's a high proportion. In the EU, 35% of the EU's total budget goes to farmers. And most of that is dairy, 35% is extraordinary amount. So if we started um, taxing or um, subsidizing plant-based products and taxing meat and dairy, or just having a tax that's across high emitting goods, we would be in a very different situation. So I really think adjusting our kind of monetary systems to put a lower price on lower emitting products and a higher price on high emitting products. I would love it if they added nutrition into that as well, because then that ensures that plant-based products remain really nutritious. Um, That would be the easiest way to fix this. Um, Part of it also will come down to scale. Um, Obviously plant-based sector is a bit earlier at this stage. And we are actually seeing now in, in some areas where there is a, a, a same as the same price um so it's it's already actually catching up quite quickly um so yeah i'd say those are probably the main levers that can be pulled i think also certain um supermarkets and and sellers are, are really leading the way so um companies like little for example have um have made very progressive commitments to the amount of plant-based products they want to stock um so that kind of somewhat forces the consumer to buy plant-based products um 
And I think other retailers could really learn from that. Um, they have their own net zero commitments and okay, maybe they don't make the margins they want for a few years, but this is an amazing way for them to, to, to get to the place that they need to be. Um, so I actually think all the solutions are there. Um, it's just a question of Im- implementing them. And it's not, I, I said it was easy. It's not easy. It's going to be complex. Um, but um, we we have all of the money available to us. We just need to reconfigure how it's, how it's sort of dished out. Moving to your personal experience. So it's been and now several years since you started uh, with with Willicroft and with all the lessons you have learned so far. I know you said you were not so much into giving advice, but what advice would you give to your younger self that wasn't the point, like in the moment that you decided to start with Willicroft? Mm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I touched upon one these points but i I, not not in much detail i think it's really good to surround yourself um by people that are very good at things that you're not (laughs) so i think it's good to be aware of of your strengths and and your weaknesses and people get told this a lot right but i didn't let this sink in until quite far along i i believe there's a brilliant model called the working genius model which basically in fairly simplistic ways, outline six characteristics. And it says we're good at two, we're average at two, and we're rubbish at two. So you basically, across your team, want to have people that are good in every area, um, in a nutshell. So I think that was really useful advice. Um, I think also looking looking after myself is something I spend a lot more time doing than I did five years ago. Five years ago, I just got up in the morning and just cracked on with things but now I put a lot of time into um, a morning routine that's more about just staying fit mentally physically um, and ensuring that I'm I'm gonna sort of eat well across the day those are things that I just kind of took for granted and I think if you don't have a strong base um, and a strong start to your day it's really easy to let things build up um And yeah, I think also it's important to to really have a break with things. So um, even two years ago, I had emails on my phones. I had a million notifications. I don't have anything on here that I can't or that, that isn't proactive. So I can access my emails, but it's a pain in the ass to do so. So whenever I want to do my emails, it's a proactive thing, for example, and The only thing that I get a notification is is for a call, um, and, and that's a nice kind of switch on on yeah my relationship with my phone, but also just how I go about my day. Um, and then yeah, I think um, it's just important as well just to be just staying true to to what you're you're trying to do and what you believe in, because otherwise it's it's a job, um, and um, this remains something that I'm I'm so passionate about i think because it's something that still really enthuses and, and inspires me um whereas in many previous roles i was just working um and and yeah of course at moments it feels like a bit of a slog but most of the time it, it's not work um you already mentioned that you just went into actually the entrepreneurship itself right in quite a pretty short time yeah um And I can imagine that 
now you have encountered a lot of things where you maybe think like, oh, the life of an entrepreneur of being running a business, mm. it, it, it takes some times it, uh, it's tall. And like, what are the things that you really want to share with others? In, ter- are, in terms of things that, that are a struggle or things that help? Or, in a terms of struggle. Yeah, I think um, it's, very, it, it's, it's, it's very hard to switch off sometimes when, when your work and life intertwine um, like, like they can easily do. Um, it's very, very tough to, to, to create that separation. Um, and I think it's always good to remember that really you have 10 good day, hours in a day. Um, I don't do that enough, but when I'm working well, it's when I remember that. <laughs> um, I think also the amount of advice I get is crazy, which is also why I don't like giving it. Um, and it's all, it's generally really well founded and intentioned, but um, it's impossible to take on board every piece of advice and action it, of course. And um, a lot of people expect when they give it to, for you to (laughs) then act upon it. And it's, it's not that the advice is necessarily bad. It's just that it's perhaps like really out of context into Uh, you know the full situation so I think that is you know you have to really get quite good at realizing what's good advice and what's not useful advice is maybe a better way of putting it um I don't think if there's anything else no I just wanted to make a comment because I think you said something interesting Brad that is about advice Mm. that there's a bunch of advice and and in my experience, not maybe with entrepreneurship, but more with life, is that advice is really personal. And people give you yeah. advice sometimes uh, on, on situations you're going through through your life. And and in, in that moment is where you have to be like picking, okay, oh, this thing that this person said to me makes sense to me. But sometimes yeah. they said something and I was like, yeah, that will not work for me. I'm not that kind of person. I, uh, I need... Uh, for example, my space to complain or I need my my space yeah. to be a little by myself if I'm going through a rough time. You know? like, so so yeah, there, exactly. that's what happens a little with the advice, in my opinion, that is really well-intentioned a, a lot of times. But yeah, then, exactly. yeah, you, yeah. I mean, somebody shall not be surprised if somebody decides not to follow your advice because then the, the reasoning mm. will be personal. Yeah. I, I love the saying, uh, show, don't tell. Yeah, it's exactly. really, it, that's actually the advice I gain the most is when I'm watching someone do something amazing and it's more just, uh, you know, wanting to, to replicate that. I, I, I really love that saying. Hmm. Now looking to the future, uh, think about the years to come. What is one big goal you really want to achieve? Even if it sounds crazy right now, like it's like, ah, yeah, it's a fool's dream, but yeah, I don't know. Ambition sometimes is not really comprehended. Yeah, well, I, it's it's actually quite, a, well, it's a, what would sound like a small goal, but if uh, if we crack it, it will have a big ripple effect. But yeah, my, my dad loves dairy. Um, and going back to our point earlier about how do you, you know, get someone on board um, that really loves dairy. He is getting to a place now where he is 
whenever we get the butter out, he's gouging away at it. And I don't think we're too far off him replacing butter. Um, and that to me is a very exciting moment because he loves what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm his son, but uh, he's not just going to drop dairy for, for me. <laughs> but I really think he might start stop eating butter. And I think that that to me would, would mean a lot more than just that specific thing because he is someone who is your, you know, replicated a million times over on, on this planet in terms of his love of dairy. So that that's probably uh, one of the biggest things that, that drives me. Really nice. Um, there's also this tradition to the podcast that our previous guest leaves a question that we're challenged they are facing and think that the next guest can answer it. Cool. Um, Let's see. But we had actually pre- the previous guests. <laughs> we had two guests. Mm. So, and they were young, uh, upcoming uh, food professionals. Cool. Um, one question was already answered during this interview. But the other is, why did you choose Amsterdam as the base for Willycroft? How does the city's culture contribute to your brand? Yeah, I would love to say it was a really conscious, well thought through decision. But it was pure coincidence of being here. Um, my partner got a job here basically, but that being said, um, I would, would struggle to name a better city for starting, um, this kind of business. Um, it's, it's the perfect size, not too big, not too small, definitely a very conscious city. You know, I still think that the whole donor economics piece of of the city of Amsterdam could have more practical components, but the fact that the city is even a long way into implementing it is amazing and they are streets ahead of most other cities so i will definitely applaud them for that and it's also a a place where there's not one dominant character or personality um or culture and i love it for that as well it's a real a real mix and um yeah it's just a, a great place to bring something forward through and you also have the kind of um, the tough, um, s- sort of honest appraisal of, a du- of the Dutch people as well, which is so useful in, in the, when starting something. Well, finally, we always do a really more personal, but as well really relevant question. That is, Brad, what is your favorite food product slash dish, the, the thing that you love to eat the most? Favorite thing? That's real tough. Um, I mean, at the moment, it is our butter. I'm just lathering it on everything. Um, I am a sucker for, um, this is not my favorite dish, but if I'm having something that I really, really am craving, it's actually carrot cake. I just absolutely love carrot cake. And I don't have it that often, but when I do, wow, it's good. So I'm struggling to think of an actual dish. It doesn't matter a dish. A product was it as well. Yeah. Your butter and a carrot cake. I'm going to go for the butter carrot cake. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not living on that. Let's get, let's make that clear. But, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Great. Then I want to say thank you, Brad, for your time and your very like beautiful insights. Um, I would uh, keep you in mind and I hope to wish you all the best. And I hope that your dad is going <laughs> to change the butter in the end thank you and um 
yeah, keep uh, showing and don't tell, <laughs> right, everyone? Yeah, precisely. No, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.